Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. It's going pretty good. I'm, I, I decided to try this outside, if that's okay. It's such a pleasant day. I don't really feel like being in the studio. <laughs> it looks nice. Yeah, it's great. This is our little house uh, on Vashon Island, and we've got oh, a view. I'm in the back of the garden just kind of chilling like Bob Dylan. That's amazing. Yeah. We should be set up. Most of the uh, quarantine here because it's just so kind of mellow and peaceful and relaxing as yeah. opposed to the town, which is kind of intense. <laughs> I'm sure. Have you been working on anything? Like, are you doing anything to keep busy? Well, I, I stacked wood today in the, in the, <laughs> we had to, yeah, we had to have a tree get cut down. And so I had to like, uh, stack all the wood. And so I stacked wood all morning basically, but, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm not really doing very much musically as that's goal oriented. I'm playing music every day, but I'm just kind of just playing for the fun of playing. Um, I made three records right before this thing started, so uh, yeah, I'm I'm kind of I, I think I'm kind of done. Right, at least writing songs for children. Uh, I have two more records of the three I made have not come out yet, so there you know there's more music coming, but. So I'm kind of taking a break from being music guy, and I'm doing visual art, actually, which is really um, fun and relaxing, and it's actually what I went to college for, and um, I didn't know what I was doing in college. I didn't know, I didn't have a voice as an artist, and now I've kind of found one, and so I'm doing that as my creative thing, which it might be the beginning of a new chapter. It might just be a temper. It's, it's been something that's kind of been percolating for the last five or six years. So that's interesting. So in college, you didn't really know like what you, what your plan was going in. Well, I, yeah, I actually, you know, I was super into music of course. And, but I didn't, I knew I didn't want to go to music school. Yeah. I wanted to kind of synthesize. I just instinctively knew I wanted to synthesize my own, thing, you know, not kind of, I don't know, maybe it's kind of childish or whatever, but I didn't want to, I didn't want to learn all the secrets. <clears throat> I didn't want to know that the next chord after a C minor seventh should be a D minor augmented or whatever. I wanted to find it, you know? So I went to art school. I went to visual arts school and, um, yes, but I, I, I did these, I did all these kind of wavy wonky shapes but they had no context. They had no story. They had no uh, narrative to them or anything. I just didn't know what they were, and I gave up on it. And then, like six or seven years ago, I found this uh, Inuit printmaker named Kanojevak Ashivak, and her work just like blew my mind because it was what I was trying to do, or not even trying to do, but. It tapped the same kind of thing that I was trying to tap without knowing what I was doing back in college. So it's sort of like all of a sudden I found a voice, I found a perspective, something to say, and and uh, started applying even you know the same style that I did in college 
to a new kind of body of work and uh, had a show of that stuff and then I went dormant for a couple of years and now I'm <clears throat> all of a sudden like I'm back making art. I never know what I'm going to be doing as far as music or art. It's really just like dictated by impulse, you know? Yeah. Like my impulse right now is to not write songs and draw. So that's what I'm doing. Was it always that way? Like even with like the presidents, was it kind of just like more of inspiration in that sense as opposed to we have to get a record out now like you got to find yeah, inspiration the beginning part was definitely pure inspiration just pure writing and performing songs that made us laugh uh, made the crowd laugh um, being absurd being really a little band and the thrill of that that was all generated by just intuition and uh you know pure selfish creativity we just wanted to see this thing happen you know wow. and it, to, to me the presidents was just another in a long series of bands that i've been in you know it's just oh here's another group of people i'll play with for six you know six months to two years and then it'll be over but it clicked and it wasn't ever you know didn't didn't fizzle out the way every other band I was in did. But um, yeah, that, back then it was all. And then once you, know, once you get signed and there's expectations and you've tasted the magic Kool-Aid or whatever <laughs> of fame, then the pressure is put on and the, uh, you know, the pressure to repeat, not necessarily to evolve, but to repeat yeah. is put on. And that didn't that uh, was a bitter fruit that didn't agree with us yeah that's like kind of a common answer that i get from like a lot of musicians that i know whether it's it doesn't matter at what level it's like it seems like the music industry is either you're you're like all in or there's like a lot of like i don't want to say like blackmail i don't because i'm not in that world i'm more of like a journalist than i am a musician but like i feel like there's a lot of negativity and bitterness in the in the music industry when it comes to record labels yeah well the unfortunate thing is they pretend to want to take care of you yeah. and nurture your talent and you know shepherd you along as you grow as an artist and become a professional but they really don't they just want to squeeze the money right. out of you yeah. and so the disconnect between their messaging and their actions like you know we got sent to germany five times in our the year that we got signed and played smaller and smaller clubs in germany and we were like what are we doing why are we uprooting ourselves from these u.s tours which are building and building and building and going to germany to breaking us in germany uh had lunch i had lunch with her and she had a couple glasses of wine and i i finally said like what are you doing why are you doing this to us <laughs> and she was relaxed enough to admit that she was afraid of losing her job. Her job was to break us in Germany. And it wasn't working, but she just plowed forward with it anyways because she was afraid. And uh, so that was like where all of a sudden the blinders were off and I was like, oh, okay, now I can see everybody's like story, you know, and what oh their, how their personal kind of arc is intersecting with ours and how we really have to take care of ourselves so, you know, it was an it was a educational experience. Let's put it that way. I don't really have anything against those people. They were only doing what they they were only, you know, operating in within the boundaries of their their capabilities, but it was not a it was not a uh, like nurturing environment. Oh my god. Well, <laughs> 
growing up in Seattle, still Seattle-based, what what was your whole in like what inspired you growing up in that area, wanting to become a musician? Uh, I mean, everybody talks about as a young child, especially those who uh, end up in alternate uh, rock bands, growing up listening to the Beatles and, and Zeppelin and things of that nature. What inspired you uh, as a Seattle-based musician to get into music? Okay, hold on. I'm sorry. I have to I now I have to move again because moving over there made the internet not work. Uh, now I'm gonna I'm gonna try this. I'm gonna try. The thing is, I should go in the living room, but my wife is in there. Oh wait a minute. Okay, I'm back in the original spot, but clear of the dapple. <laughs> it's all good, man. It's a beautiful up. Okay, you better ask that again because you went into like uh, you went into like digital uh, stormtrooper mode there. I didn't hear the question. <laughs> All right, in five, four, three, two, one, click. Take two. So growing up in Seattle, Seattle-based musician, I know all the, all the rock and alternative guys, or all the guys who end up in uh, rock and alternative bands uh, grow up, you're inspired by the Beatles and Zeppelin, things of, uh, bands of that nature. For you, what was the biggest inspiration to pick up an instrument and start playing music at a young age? Uh, wow, that's actually, well, I started when I was about uh, four playing piano, uh, taking actual piano lessons. I was kind of being groomed between four and ten-ish to be a concert pianist. Wow. And uh, went along that line, and then I finally picked up a guitar at one point and was like, oh, this is so much better, I'll just do this. Um, but the Beatles were, you know, massive. I got Sgt. Pepper's when it came out in 1967, when I was two and a half. And that album just set off, like, movies in my head. You know, the visual aspect of that album really is what made me want to write songs. I wanted to also give people uh, a visual, you know. So that album and, and having it at that super young age when my, you know, Imagination can be so real and vivid. More than it was the Beatles, I wasn't like necessarily into like, it's the Beatles, you know, like, I didn't understand what the Beatles were. I just knew that that album made me travel. Yeah. So really it was like, try, I've been my whole life, I've been trying to rewrite Sgt. Pepper's basically. <laughs> but <laughs> no. not from a like, like hero worship stance, but more from a like creative, uh, you know, I love that aspect of songs, the songs that make you see things. Yeah. So what was rock kind of like your, uh, I don't want to say like motive, like your, your top genre when you uh, broke into the business or like even in high school bands? Like what was your, your bread and butter, I guess, when it came to creating music? Well, not really rock necessarily. No, I was into like, you know, I was into the Beatles. I was into that like... And that means like the full spectrum of their songwriting, you know, like the, the ballads to the weird stuff, psychedelic to poppy, you know, like I love the mixed bag. You know, I've never been into like one genre. I've always been into songs and I don't really care what songs are first. I don't care what genre they are just so long as they're a great song. You know, I like Christine 16 by Kiss, but I also like, you know, Mendelssohn and Bach and Vivaldi and... <laughs> I don't like Beethoven that much, but so I'm into like classical and pop, and so it's all over the map. That was actually one of the things that was a problem with being in a rock band, is I felt like I was painting with primary colors, yellow, you know, drums, guitar, bass, vocal. Um, and I really wanted to paint with every color 
you know, in the paint box. So, yeah, I, I was into everything, basically. Everything. So when you were in high school, like some of your high school bands before the presidents of the United States of America, were those completely different sounds to what that ended up being with the presidents? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm just by a Japanese pop band. You know, was it jangly and angular? Jangular? Yeah. And it's sort of form. It's sort of creating uh, band. I was on the floor playing a tiny keyboard with half of a headphone. Being that for drums, I was singing into it for vocals, playing the keyboard, lying on the ground. Then there was a Hawaiian guy playing guitar and a long-haired, like, absolute, you know, sick bass player. <laughs> we never played a show. But anyway, it went from that. You know, it, it, that's I just described that as an indication of every band I was in was sort of like super cray, weird, broke down, funky, screwed up, you know, bizarre, arty. You know, I used to once sometimes I played with like a cover on my head with all the lights in the club off. It was just like little head. It was the only light show. It was nuts. So what what inspires you to kind of and obviously the more you grow, the more you evolve. But what kind of inspires you to kind of switch up your craft, especially when you go from an alternative rock band that you're known for with the presidents to uh, Casper Baby Pants where you're writing music for little kids? I I'm definitely have always been inspired by just figuring out um, what my actual voice is, if that makes sense. Like, you know, uh, what kind of music can I make that is absolutely transparent as far as how it represents me like who I really am like I always shied away from the idea of like putting on a, a character or an artifice to go on stage or like um, and I guess in the end that drive that focus on figuring that out uh, made it so that when the presidents were happening I definitely had this interior kind of messaging coming at me like this isn't it this isn't your final stop there's something else you're supposed to do. And I didn't know what it was. And it took like 15 years of pecking around on the side. And, you know, eventually all that experimenting outside the presidents got smaller and smaller and more innocent and more acoustic and more kind of uh, less snarky and more kind of, you know, I don't know, silly. And, and eventually... I realized, oh, it's it's kids' music. I'm supposed to be singing. I'm supposed to take away, like, the presidents have this innocent core, but it also had all the innuendo around the outside, like, uh, am I really singing about a kid of peaches, and what is Lump really about? It all kind of might sound a little, like, there's a, a level of innuendo in it that makes it work. It's innocence and innuendo, and uh, but I was never that super comfortable with the innuendo part. <clears throat> there was a phase in my life where things went that direction creatively, but then it wasn't something I wanted to repeat and do over. So eventually, I got rid of the innuendo, and then the innocent core that was also in the presidents was all that I was working with. So it was great. I got rid of the loud drums, the loud guitar, you know, the, the, the ear-splitting <laughs> noise that we were making at, toward the end there, and went small. So it just, it's a form of music that absolutely expressed who I really am. And who I really am is a very childlike person. I like to see the world as if I'm a beginner, a child. I like to um, experience it that way. And so 
it's that I love, um, and I, I don't really feel like I'm making it kids. I'm actually the very first uh, parents musician. There's no genre called parents music, but if there was, I'd be the first to sign up. <laughs> so is, is it a more of a, a, a not easier process, but a more fun process for you? Because with Casper Baby Pants, you're putting out like an album a year, if not more. You, you have... 17 albums out right yeah well a lot of that is yeah i have 17 out now and i have two more full-length albums done ready to go with the shutdowns over and i can do shows again but uh, um it's harder actually it's harder because it's just me and believe it or not writing songs for little kids is harder in a grown up band, you could turn up the distortion and read a phone book into a distorted mic if you did it with enough passion and everyone would think you're super important. With this music, for kids, the vocals are right up front. I've got to tell a story, even in the most simple song. There's got to be a little tension or a little arc or visual something. Um, so it's not just being repetitive and goofy. I look at it as uh, a real challenge to make something that's uh, like my experience with Sgt. Pepper's when I was a tiny two-and-a-half-year-old, I want them to latch on to music the way I latched on to that album. I want them to hear the music and see the story. So I have to write this. It's a lot more, like, cohesive, you know? Like, yeah. I could get away in the presidents with a lot of, like, abstract poetry, but I can't get away with abstract poetry here. Interesting. So growing up in Seattle, there's obviously a big early 90s scene in, in general with music as opposed to rock, obviously, with the, the Sound Gardens and the Nirvanas, obviously. How, how big was that at the time? Because I was not alive then. 1991, Nevermind comes out, 92, 93, Pearl Jam makes it big. What, what's that whole atmosphere like for you as a musician in, in kind of like that scene in the early 90s in Seattle? Uh, well, I was actually in Boston until... When did I come back? I think I, I flip-flopped between Seattle and Boston in 91, 92 in the scene in the early 90s. I was more connected to the Boston So I was really enmeshed in the Boston scene. I'd come back to Seattle in the winter to work and hang out with my friends or whatever, but kind of missed that. But I remember cranking Nevermind in Boston <laughs> a lot uh, and loving it. And once I came back and decided to put roots down in, like, 93, things were pretty well established um, in that world. I didn't really go out and see that music very much. I didn't know those guys yet, you know, the people in those bands. Um, but the beautiful thing about that grunge explosion was that in the aftermath, a band like the Presidents could play on a Tuesday at the Crocodile and the place would be packed because everybody <laughs> was excited to see the next... Nirvana, you know? And so it was incredibly fertile ground to uh, plant our seeds in or whatever, grow, grow our, our flowers in. And uh, so we couldn't have done it without the initial grunge explosion because it not only gave us something to kind of react against, not against, but, you know, react to, um, and be influenced. I wanted to add, like, you know, my own ridiculous lyrical kind of direction. Um, so we're not only influenced by them, <clears throat> excuse me, by them, but um, uh, intensity in the scene that really benefited us because we had built-in audiences from the beginning just because everyone was curious. 
So was there a few shows here and there where like they were just jam packed because everybody just expected greatness out of that scene? Oh yeah, they all were. I like I said like you could every night, every night every club was jam packed. Wow. Because everybody wanted to see the next big thing. So it was an incredible, I mean, wow. I I almost feel like it's unfair. <laughs> like that we got signed in a because of an un like a I don't know. Like the atmosphere was so supercharged that it did some of the work for us, you know. So how big of a deal was it when because that whole, I, I again wasn't there. You you were around it. You said you were in Boston for uh, uh, periods of that. What's the whole thing surrounding the whole Seattle grunge scene where everything kind of seemed very dark and gloomy in the sense like music was great, but at the same time, and I'm talking about those specific bands like Nirvana, Soundgarden, Pearl Jam. It was just dark, it seemed like. Like, what What do you think's the reasoning behind that? Like, just the whole attitude of those bands, in a sense. Well, this is traditionally a heavy kind of dark atmosphere. As winters are long, yeah. summer, which is right now, is beautiful, but yeah. short. And, uh, you know, relatively cool. And um, there's a lot of rainy, gray heavy days where all you really can do is get together with your friends in the basement and play music and I think that that rainy gray heavy pressury atmosphere sort of seeped into those basements and influenced that vibe along with the fact that a lot of these musicians were influenced by heavy rock you know Led Zeppelin um, you know that kind of just like uh, uh uh, what are they called? <laughs> Why am I blanking on it? Uh, Ozzy Osbourne. What's uh, oh Sabbath? Yeah, Sabbath. Black Sabbath. Sure. I got you. Um, and the con- so the combination of like growing up with that music and then this atmosphere we lived in just kind of like solidified that that vibe. Um, and you know the lead singers in Soundgarden and Nirvana at least were troubled people um, right. who had rough goes rough childhoods rough times rough times being at ease in their own selves and so that seeped in too so it's like i don't think that's as true for pearl jam but they, you know they're pearl jam is kind of like the clash and nirvana is like the sex pistols like the pearl jam i think want, wanted to like build camaraderie and build a scene and and include and like create a a loving environment, right? And Nirvana wanted to just, like, smash the world. And it's the same for, like, The Clash kind of wanted to, like, you know, offer other perspectives, reggae and the Sandinistas and all that stuff, and be political, and the Sex Pistols just wanted to spit on everything and break stuff. So you got to kind of have the two. But anyway, that's, I, I mean, that's, like, my, you know, super intuitive maybe not very well-educated guess as to why the music was heavy. <laughs> Lead singer personality, reign, and influence. For you guys, with the President of the United States of America, what was your main message to your fans when creating your music? Uh, join us. Like, come join the band. And like, you're in the band, too. That was, I think, what... In a, in a very, you know, like, old-fashioned punk rock sense. It's like a do-it-yourself... Um, you know, I came from playing busking and playing on the street, and I did that because I didn't feel like I should have to wait around for the 
even the thumbs up from the man to have a show, you know, like I was like, I, I'm going to wake up on a Wednesday morning and be like, okay, I'm going to do a gig today and just go play, you know. So I, I would hope that the message was like, you're, you're included, welcome in, come on in, we need you as much as you need us. Kind of thing. So I'm always interested or intrigued, yeah. I guess, in a sense. when you're like at your peak and you mentioned like those early days in Seattle, you kind of had like the crowds built for you in a sense because they're expecting the next big thing. What's it like playing in front of 600, 700 people in that kind of atmosphere where everybody's just expecting greatness? Well, that part never, I think I kind of figured out that that was what was going on later. At the time, I didn't really. I was so focused on just the joy of playing and the joy of writing songs and jumping around and the smiling faces in the audience that I didn't feel that I didn't feel pressure. So it was like um, it was just like something to do, you know. Like we didn't have the internet, we didn't have social media or so many like ways to watch television. We had to watch what was on television, <laughs> and if what was on television was not good. We had to do something else, and a lot of times that was jam, play music, uh, something to do. So um, the re the excitement and the release of playing the shows and what it was like was just sort of um, I don't know. It was it was like necessary to be happy. So I didn't really put a lot of pressure. I never thought we'd get signed. I mean, I never joined, I never formed the band to get on a major label. It was all about just like changed, of course, when we ended up standing up in front of seven thousand people. Yeah. And then, it, then you could feel the pressure. <laughs> yeah. But when it was when it was new, being newly minted, it was nothing but just like relaxed joy. And, and when you guys get signed, that whole experience for you, because you said like you that was not like your plan or like in your plans at least. What was that whole story like when uh, you're playing and then you run into uh, a record deal like you did? Well, that's a big question. I mean, it was, so I, you know, like I said, I'd grown up DIY, doing it myself, and the band, The Presidents, was just another in a long series of DIY projects. Um, so I was skeptical, very skeptical, but also really fell for the line I was being given, which is, you are an important songwriter, and you are elevating joy in this dark age, and, you know, keeping people smiling, and we need more of your music, and uh, so I kind of fell for that a little bit, but also, I just had this very strong gut feeling, like, this is untenable, it's unsafe, it's uh, uneatable, it's closed, and everyone's like, monkey, monkey, paint, paint more paintings. I'm like, I can't. I don't know what I did. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, it was disorienting. And, and, you know, but then I found a way to, you know, I was like, oh, I'm going to take the opportunity. So I found a way to be compartmental, compartmentalize the voice inside. The, and so eventually I quit. Uh, and we were broken up for five years. And then we got back together. And that was glorious because there was no pressure on us then. Right. And we, uh, I always think of that, that, second act as us being the world's best president's cover band because um, there was so little pressure that it just was like oh we get to play these songs wow hee, this is great so yeah we, I'm really glad we got that second act and that second act went on for 13 years so yeah. it was it was a long 
It was a long arc. I think we were an active band for, what, like, 93 to 2015. I don't know how many years that is. Did you act, Did you get to enjoy, I, I mean, I'm sure you did, but did you get to enjoy anything from that first act with the presidents in the 90s when you're on Letterman and Jay Leno and all that stuff? Were you able to take that in and enjoy any of it? Oh, yeah, definitely. I have really fond memories of those experiences, yeah. Um, yeah, being on The Tonight Show with Chris Farley was amazing. Um, I met Rodney Dangerfield at one of those things. Uh, playing Paul Schaefer and band on Letterman was fantastic. You know, wondering if I'd ever get to be on that. Of course, Johnny Carson wasn't there, but, you know. Um, so, yeah, those were thrilling. Those were super fun. I was listening to an interview did a few months ago talking about that. Uh, I think it was Jay Leno when you guys jumped Farley right as as the show was ending and it didn't actually make cut what was that whole scenario like who actually told you to jump on farley and did, did he actually was, did like him to it yeah that was dave dieter's idea uh we were sitting there you know we played our song and dave right as the commercial break was happening before this you know outro thing that was going to happen and dave leaned over to jason and said when jay leno says good night let's pig pile on chris farley and we're like, okay. <laughs> and Chris Farley is this, like, you know, he was amazing. He's just, like, giant bundle of energy. He had put on an amazing, uh, he had done some stand-up, and he was all, like, hot and sweaty and weird, and he had this leopard print jacket on. And so, anyway, Jay says goodnight, and we jumped on Chris Farley, and you could see this, like, surprise in his eyes, like, like, what, what, what are you doing? And then you could see his face shift to like, all right, here we go. And he planted his feet and just started like twisting his body and we were flying. <laughs> um, yeah, it was pretty fun. And then afterwards, Chris Farley and, and Jason and Dave and I all had a good laugh about it. And I got a great picture with him. Yeah. And uh, he was super glad we did it. And, and uh, the producers of the show were like, well, you, you broke a table and wrecked a coffee cup, but we have a really good piece of video for our uh, holiday gag reel for the holiday party. <laughs> so thank you. But I've never been able to find it online, so it'd be fun to see. <laughs> That's a funny story, man. And the last thing I wanted to ask you, I don't want to take too much of your time, but right now uh, you mentioned that you're getting pretty close to hanging it up. You want to kind of pursue other things. Do you enjoy performing for children more than you do for kind of raucous crowds in front of 7,000 people per se? I really do because it is, they are so weird. <laughs> They're like the happiest drunk people in the whole world. Um, it's very punk rock. It's very like um, reminiscent. I mean, it's more punk rock than a punk rock show. There's more artifice and agreement about how things are going to go between a band and the audience at a punk rock show than at a Casper Baby Pants show. They will walk up to me and say the weirdest things or interrupt songs or just behave strangely, dance weird. Um, you know, they just are so free and so random and funny. Because I, I play for zero to six-year-olds. So that's the bracket where they're really freaky and then after six you know they get a little more uh cool uh, i'm not i'm not interested in the cool kids i want the weirdos and uh so yeah it is it's i like it better because it's not as loud it's more sustainable it's something i can do at 10:30 a.m on a weekday and then have the rest of the day to myself and sleep in my own bed and you know the rock and roll thing is 
just terrible on the nervous system. Uh, you know, I, 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 it just burned me out yeah. hardcore. I'm still recovering from it, I feel like. <laughs> but yeah, I love playing for little kids. They are the greatest punk rockers in the world. listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube